Welcome to the best show in the world. It's called Damn Mom Really, also known as the show that nobody wants to be on and everybody wants to listen to. My name is Danae Reed and I'm going to be the host of this show for the next hour. So sit back and relax and listen to us laugh, cry, yell, curse, do whatever we got to do to get through the grief of losing our mamas. This beat that you're listening to was made by Scott Reed Jr. What's up, y'all? Welcome to Damn Mom, really the podcast that nobody wants to be on and everybody wants to listen to. My name is Danae, as y'all hopefully know by now. And if you don't know, now you know. And I'm here with Najee, who I went to college with, and she was actually on my first show, The Weekly Read, back in 2018. I haven't seen her since, and so or maybe that was 2019. I don't know, but it's been a minute, and so I'm super excited to catch up with you and talk a little bit about loss and grief in a different way and I'm not going to say too much I'm going to kick it over to you and then we'll kind of explain what we're doing yes hi I'm Najee I'm very excited to be working with you again I <laughs> sorry I don't actually even know what to say um I'm just a 20 something figuring out life and trying to heal my inner child make space for the inner teenager in me and become an adult who can reconcile with both Mm. Can we talk a little bit more about that? I think that idea of healing our inner child and like giving life to your teenage self is really relevant regardless of how you're approaching loss or grief or any of that. So can you talk a little bit more about what that experience is like for you? Yeah. Um, what's funny is that like I actually did just say that off the top of my head. And after I said it, I was like, wow, that actually sounds really good. It sounds <laughs> Yeah, because I... Um, So recently, my mother had to come stay with me for a short period of time, and that was a really tough decision for me to make. And um, as I do, I made a Facebook post about it. And through that, I was reflecting on how I got to the decision. And so the decision was made because, like, my inner child carries a kind of, um, like, that appeasing energy where you just want to, like, keep the peace and, like, make everyone happy. And so a lot of times I am contending with that because that's still, there's still that like unhealed child in me who was like, like knocking on glass, trying to get free. Mm. And then there's the teenager in me who was less on the appeasing side and more on the, just like having to be responsible and like put myself aside to like handle things, how they're supposed to be handled because I was, you know, mature um, when in reality, it's like, was well, I mature or were y'all traumatizing me? But anyway, <laughs> and now as an adult, I like have all these parts of me that are coexisting at the same time. And something that I had read on some social media, it had said that like, our anger is the part of us that knows we've been fucked up, basically. Mm. And so I feel like my teenager is that version of me, because in my teenage years, that's when like, you know, a lot of my depression came about and like a lot of just those like, you know, those angsty feelings and stuff Mm -hmm. and like just being like, yo, like what the hell is going on in my world? And even though I have that anger now, sometimes it's still like often overshadowed by that inner child. So like I'm looking to that teenager version of me that is in that defiant phase of like, you know, no, fuck you. Like, you know, um, where we're just trying to figure out how do I balance my own boundaries in respect to my like soft, like inner child while also knowing how I should and shouldn't be treating, how I should and shouldn't be treated and how to hold people accountable when they, you know, play with me. (laughs) And it could not have been said better. Don't play with her. But, you know, The show, again, is about grief and loss, and most of the people who come on are here to talk about mothers who have since transitioned, but we're here to talk about your mother who is still here, and so, of course, I approached you and asked you if this would be something that you were interested in doing, but I want to ask, why do you feel that the whole idea of grief and loss as it pertains to your mom is relevant for you? (sighs) Because, like... I really had to. Also, I am a cancer. My birthday in a few days, and I am a crybaby. So if it happens, happens. they say no. If you cry, you cry. That's okay. Okay. (laughs) We laugh, we cuss, we scrape, we do all that. So period. (laughs) So I've had to realize that the version of my mother that exists in my head 
never really came to fruition. Hmm. And so I think when we're kids, it's really easy for us to have these rose-colored glasses on about the people in our lives because we can only see them in this one way. Like, you know, like that's just my mom. And I was raised by my mom. My dad was not in my life. And then, you know, he passed. So after he passed, it was really just my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's always been her and like, you know, help from the family. But like she raised me. She, you know, is the one who handled all my schooling and like all my housing needs and all that stuff. And so like, she was like my hero. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is my mom. Like I love my mom. And my mom, uh, she grew up separate from her sisters. Her dad raised her, her mom raised her sisters. And so she was also very much a like, I don't need nobody person. So I wasn't even like, though I spent time with my cousins and stuff, me and my mom were like at the hip, you know, like everyone would think that I have people today that would be like, oh my gosh, I thought you and your mom were best friends. And it's like, because you really would have thought that because of how we were and because she was protective, you know, I didn't spend time really with people other than the family. Like I was not the friend to go to sleepovers and stuff. Like my mom was like, I need to see my child. And if I am somewhere, she calling, did you eat what you doing? Where you at? Like, you know, so because we had this really siloed experience everything just seemed like whatever. And then as you get older, you notice things. Like I remember something I think about a lot is being in middle school. And I had asked my friend, I was like, this was like seventh or eighth grade. And I was like, do you ever need something, but you're scared about asking your mom for it because you don't know how she's going to react. And like, she was like, no. And I was like, wow, people live different lives. (laughs) Um, So it's like, as I started to really notice her as herself and not just with like mom glasses on, I was like, this is not cool. Like I, I went through so much of my life feeling like I had to like, like hold her up and idolize her because she's my mother. And now I'm realizing that sis really had me fucked up. Like, Mm there was a lot of emotional abuse and manipulation. And I think because it was not physical, it does not get talked about the same. And because, you know, she did what she was supposed to do. Like, you know, I was housed, I was fed, I was clean, I was excelling in school. It didn't raise any flags. But like something I um, talk with my therapist a lot about is that I needed someone to save me, but like I couldn't have it. Like no one came and got me from there and I was like I am in this home with this person that I feel like hates me she's an alcoholic she's mean you know and like I can make space for the fact that she had a traumatic childhood you know she had traumatic relationships and experiences but also if you are going to parent me I can hold you to certain standards you know so it's like I'm sorry for how you were wronged and I'm holding you accountable for how you wronged me. And so my grieving and loss experience is going through the process of like, my mother is alive, but I don't have parents. Mm. Like I, me and my mom, and even she said it a couple of years ago, like we're basically like sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, And so like, I don't have that like parental figure that it's like, you know, I can go to your house and just feel like I can sit there and be carefree and just like not worry about anything. Or like, I can't like, she's not emotionally supportive. She's not emotionally mature. So I can't call her sad and crying because first she's going to go through panic of like, are you okay? What's wrong? And then she's just going to tell me that like, you know, everybody's got problems basically. Mm-hmm. Like when I, back in the, at the end of 2020, I had called her to tell her that I was going to go to a psychiatric facility to see that if I could be checked in for inpatient. And she said two things. One was, um, well, don't let them give you all them drugs unless that's what you want. And the second thing was, well, if you kill yourself, I won't have anybody. And like that was like her main talking points. And I'm like, (laughs) are you, are you for real? Like, say psych is this a joke so my grief is just being like did I ever really have the mom that I thought I had Mm. or did I have this person who when I was in my younger years so like pre-teen me 
they liked that I was this like small being that they could love on and like I was in their image. And then as I started to become my own person, they started pulling away and not fucking with me. Mm. And so like to them, a mom is just like, oh, your needs are met and I love you. But like somebody who can actually carry me and support me no matter what, somebody who feels safe, somebody who feels reliable and trustworthy, I don't have that. And so that's what the grief process is of being like, I see this person. I know this person. I know she's my mother. I have pictures with her. I just spent a week with her. I know her number. I know where she at. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't have parents. And it feels really rough when like, I'm talking about this with people. Like, for example, now, like when you first approached me, I was like, this feels hard to say to somebody who actually lost their mom. But also it's like, you know, you're right. There are different kinds of grief. And it's like, a part of me is guilty because I'm like, she's still here. But another part of me is like, but is she? Because what do we really have? Mm. You know? So. Your grief is valid, even if it's different from mine. You know, it's, it's still extremely valid because I don't know what it feels like to have a mother that did not feel present for me. I don't know what it feels like to have to come to the realization that my mom is not who I thought she was. And, you know, sometimes we learn through experiences and growing up that our idea of something isn't actually the totality of the thing. So for you, I'm trying to understand, um, do you feel like as a child, your vision of a mother was a certain thing? And then through experience and time and just seeing other people's relationships with their mothers, do you think that that was the thing that made you realize that? what you had as a child is not actually what it was. Yeah. um, Part of it was like going to college and just being around all these people who are just super like supported and carried by their parents. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't even mean just the the financial things, but I just mean like emotional, like their parents would come visit. They would be rushing, like no matter what, like we would want to do over the weekend. They're like, no, I have to go home and see my parents and my siblings. And I'm like, you want to go home consistently? Like, what is like, what is that? You know, like I was ready to go. Okay. So like a part of it, yes, is like seeing other people's experiences. But the other thing was honestly, like high school was hell. So I lost my dad in 2012. So that was the summer of the summer of 2012, right before I started 10th grade. And that is like, to me, like a good pinpoint of the decline of our relationship. Mm -hmm. And so in high school, I would just have so many of these feelings of being like, this lady don't like me. Like she's mean, she's aggressive. Like it's like a verbal, like not a verbal punch mat because it's like, it would be like, I would feel like I was tripping sometimes because it it's not overt. It's not necessarily what she says. Sometimes it's what she doesn't say. It's the dismissiveness. It's the energy, you know, like you just come yeah. at house mad or like, you know, like you, you don't want to talk or like, I see what you do invest in and what you don't invest in. And so it's like, it all slowly unraveled. And then getting to college was like, where it all, I guess, like, blew open because I was like, you know, I'm only an hour away and you don't even come visit me, but you miss me. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, like it, like she didn't, she's like, she didn't share my joy and excitement about things. She like, she couldn't remember like what I was studying and stuff. Like, it was just like, you don't even know what I'm doing versus like my, my grandfather was, I tell people like the he was the healthiest version of a parent that I had. And even he had his issues, but like he was my healthiest parent figure. And like my grandfather, losing him was really hard on both of us because for me, as him being like my parent figure, he could have told you, mind you, I applied to like 19 colleges. He could have told you nearly everyone I applied to and got into. He could have told you my scholarships. He could have told you what I was studying. He knew what I was doing in school. Like he was so involved. He knew my awards. He knew, he knew, even though like, you know, cause I got a lot, into a lot of like queer things in school and he wasn't with that. He still like tried to like understand and support what I was doing. And I didn't have that from my mom. Like it was like, I was, I was begging her to show up. 
I would beg her to spend time with me and I would get excuses. Um, like she didn't show up for my birthday at my, um, fam- like we had a family gathering, very casual because she was like, well, I don't have anything to bring. And it's like, girl, everyone knows you don't have money and you never bring anything anyway. Your daughter is celebrating her birthday. You're one child. I'm an only child. So this isn't being split with others. I am an only child. So it's like, girl. So it's like, just after like all of these experiences and constantly crying about the same person hurting me, I'm just like, we really have a fucked up relationship. And so like, I had to stop lying to myself because I remember being in church one day with my grandpa and it was Mother's Day. And so everybody's, you know, talking about their moms and stuff and being a mom. And I, and I said, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just really thankful for my mom. My mom's my best friend and stuff. And I'm like, I felt like I said that because that's what you're supposed to say about your mom. Yeah. Oh, I love my mom. Do I actually like her? Because the reality is, sis hurts me a lot. And the saying that I say now is one day she's going to hurt me for the last time. It's just not today. Mm-hmm. Because since that's my mom, I keep falling into these same patterns. I keep letting her use me. I keep letting the manipulation happen. Like I keep ending up in these same positions because that is my mother and I do love her. But like, I have to, like, even though I can say, I know she's not who I thought she was. I haven't really let that settle. And like, I haven't really accepted because I, that inner child, Mm -hmm. she wants her mom. She wants who she thought her mom was. She wants that supportive person who once was like super supportive and excited and like my cheerleader and things. But like also, was she? Like when I'm looking back on these experiences, these memories, what really was going on? Like, yes, we had these great moments and I have great memories, but also how did she talk to me? How would she treat me? How were, how was the manipulation taking place? How would she embarrass me in public? Mm. Did she listen to me? Like, did I feel safe and secure and comfortable to tell her things? Or did I feel like I needed to hide things from her? Was I worried about her reactions to like any kind of mistakes and stuff? So now I'm a perfectionist with anxiety. <laughs> like it's, it's, It's like going through a Rolodex of all these experiences and then suddenly seeing the like the inconsistencies and imperfections on each of them and being like, wow, this Mm. is actually a really different picture than what I thought I've been looking at. So at present, how do you conceptualize an ideal mother? I don't even know. Mm. I think better than what I have (laughs) I think I just want I think an ideal mother would be someone who is safe someone I can trust someone that I can rely on um someone who like can emotionally carry me and support me because my mom does not have that emotional capacity so like when we were both grieving my grandfather dying it was so much of me taking care of her still Mm. like when my dad died and she didn't even like that man because they had an abusive relationship but like that was another thing that became about her like everything becomes about her and I would love to have a mother who made me feel like I was prioritized who made me feel like they would make like sacrifices for me who would allow themselves to be uncomfortable for me and I don't mean in like a like a really obscene way but just like oh I don't want to do this thing but you my kid I'm gonna show up or like I'm not interested in this thing but you are so let me be hype about it like you know like my friends I have friends in so many different um like professions and stuff like that especially with my friends when it comes down to like science and stuff my friend is a computer scientist for Bank of America. I don't know what the hell he'd be talking about. But as soon as he start talking about it, I'm like, hey, bitch, there you yeah. go. Do, 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 hit your buttons. Like, because you're my friend and I'm going to show that support. I don't know what you're talking about, but like, you know, we happy. Like, mm-hmm. tell me how to react so I can give it to you. Like, are we supposed to be sad or happy for what you just said? 
I don't know what it is, but like, let's do it. You know what I mean? But like, she's not that. Like, I could be like, mom, like, look at this makeup I did. And she's like, nice. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, well, I don't really like makeup. And it's like, bitch, is it cute or not? Like, look at the skill. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I just want, I just want to feel like somebody is invested in me. I want to feel like I have somebody who I can be like, look, life is like crushing me really hard. And I just want to feel like I have no cares for a second because I'm constantly having to be mature and an adult and figure shit out and do things. And I want a safe space where I could just like go plop down somewhere and just be like, oh my God, like, I just don't have to do anything. I don't want to, I don't have to think about anything. Like I don't have to be mature right now. And I don't have that. I don't have nowhere to like just hide and feel safe and secure. And the only person that ever truly made me feel like that was my grandfather. Like I knew I was a priority to him. I knew I was important to him. Like he would drive all the way to Westchester for like simple things if I needed him. I could call him whenever. I could tell him I was thinking about something or wanted something. And if he was able to get it, he would. Like it was just... He, like, he hates being up in the mornings. And, you know, like, when you were um, moving out of the dorms, oftentimes you had to leave in the morning. He would still be there 7, 8 o'clock to get me. He hates mornings, but, like, hey, kid got to be picked up, so you're going to do what your kid need, you know? And so, like, losing him was, like, losing the one person that I felt, like, truly made me feel prioritized no matter what. Because that is what you do for your children, regardless of their age. Like, I feel like, you know, for my mom, I'm like, you brought me here. I don't owe you anything because like I didn't choose to be here. You brought me here. And so therefore I am your responsibility. And that's not to say I don't want to do anything for you, but don't expect things of me when you don't deserve them. Yeah. And see, like I was saying earlier, this whole idea of grief and, you know, you feeling guilty for feeling a type of way because you know, my mom isn't physically here and yours is something that you said or a lot of the things that you said relate to exactly how I feel. I do feel like I'm not, I don't feel protected anymore. I don't have that space. And that's why I really want to hone into the fact that like what you're feeling is so relevant and like it, that's just is what it is. That is grief. It's not feeling protected. It's like loving somebody and having no place that you feel like that love can go. It's seeking solace and not being able to find it in the one person who either always provided it to you or just never did, but they're supposed to, you know? So what you're feeling is so relevant. And I just, I hope that you don't feel guilty for feeling the way that you do just because your mom is here because like I was saying earlier, the whole idea of being here versus not in the grand scheme, it like it matters, but it doesn't matter because a parent is still a parent, whether they're mm-hmm. physically here or not. And that's just like my personal take on things. But I really appreciate your candor and how vulnerable you're being in this space with me and just with the people who are listening. And there's a lot of things that you've said that I feel like from my perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, but might have been difficult to unearth or give life to or speak life into. When you say my mother does not like me, when you say I do not have a mother, I don't not have parents, how does that feel to say out loud? It's heartbreaking um, because I don't think my mom knows she doesn't like me. Or I don't think she realizes that she doesn't like me. But, like, I've come to that conclusion because I can see how she... And this really bothered me when I was younger because I have a god brother who's... I'm about to be 26. He's, like, 13 or 14. So whatever the math is there, what, 8, 9, 10 years? Either way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever that is. Oh, wait, no, that's like the... Anyway. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, some 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 amount of time. Um, He came about or whatever. And he's sweet. He's I love him. Um, But I would get really, like, jealous because of, like, how she acted about him. Or, like, with anybody's other kids. I'm like, you seem to, like, play with them more. Or, like, you're more patient with them. You talk to them differently. Like, you just seem a bit nicer to them. And it would just bother me because I'm like, why are you not spending time with me? And then I'll see that more as I got older, like being in college and stuff. I'm like, you're making plans to go be with my cousin. And you're like talking to my cousin and my godbrother really regularly. 
but like, I don't see you. You don't put in no effort to see me. And if I do see you, I have to, I have to plan it and make all the steps and make it possible. You know, like you're never going to put in the effort to be like, I want to, like, she'll tell me she wants to see me. She'll be like, oh, I want to cook for you and your friends. I want to do this. I want to do that. But if I don't bring it up again, she won't. It's never a situation where I'm like, hey, let me know when you're free. I'm going to plan the day. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm free on the 12th. And she, she's not going to call and be like, okay, well, I got this. I got the travel arrangements. I'll see you on the 12th. We're going to do this and that, you know, like, or like do it like a surprise pop up. Like, hey, I'm driving over to Westchester because it's like, you know, I'm in a, you know, I'm there. Where else I'm going to be? So like, you know, there's none of that. And so, but she doesn't see it like that. She doesn't understand that. She doesn't acknowledge how she would talk to me and treat me. Like I used to hear her talk shit about me on the phone with her friends as a child and when i say she would literally look me in my face and tell me i didn't hear that and i'm like girl i'm not deaf and we live in this townhouse i'm only two steps away from you what you mean like i know i hear you or like one time i heard her talking to her friend in person um of course they were drinking and so um she had said something she was just like i want her out my house i want her out my house i want her out my house and so that really upset me so when i went to ask her about it she was like you know I love you. You my baby. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, you really about to sit here and gaslight me? Like, I didn't just hear you say you wanted to kick me out. Mind you, high school, me, like, I was not a rowdy kid. First of all, I'm an introvert. I'm shy. And I'm a nerd. So I was just sitting around reading. And I was scared of getting caught. Like, the worst thing I did in high school was like, okay, I started smoking weed a little bit. And also, <laughs> I lied about my girlfriend just being my friend. Mm-hmm. But like other than that, it's not like I was doing nothing crazy. Like my friends were cutting school and doing hanky panky at their parents' house while the parents was gone. I wasn't doing none of that. Okay, they were mm-hmm. leaving school to go and uh, what was it called, like Devil's Creek or whatever it was, like mm-hmm. trying to jump off some rocks and stuff. I wasn't doing no outlandish stuff like that. So like, why are you treating me like a criminal? So it's like I would hear how she was talking about me, or like I would hear her voice when she talks to me like just sound like defeated or disinterested or like how quickly you get upset or how quickly you'll talk about like punching in my face or like getting mad at me or whatever, like, or just not believing me. When I say you would think I am the world's biggest liar, how much like she does not trust me. So it's like all of these things, you won't say you don't like me, but your behavior shows different. Yeah. Because if I treat somebody else like that, it's because, like, it's clearly showing that I'm not feeling you. Mm-hmm. Like, like, if I'm talking about you to others, that's a problem. If I don't want you in my space, and not just because I like to be alone, but because it's you specifically, that's a problem. And so if I bring this stuff, she's like, you know, I love you. Like, one time I did say, I was like, tell the truth, you don't really like me. And she was like, what? Don't play with me. You know I love you. You know I like you. Da, 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 da. And I'm just like, okay. And then because she's so in denial. But what's crazy is recently my mom got really sick. It was fucking scary. Like I really thought she was about to die. Um, she was sick from like November 29th until like early January. And then she started to get better, but she was still in the nursing home until end of April as she was like, you know, still getting better to be in a space where like she didn't need, you know, 24 seven medical care around her. But for the beginning part of that time, so like in December, she was really mentally unwell, like really delusional and hallucinating and paranoid. And so like she was, it was really, really wild. And something my aunt told me was like, she was like, I'm not going to say what it is but there is some animosity from your mom towards you. I'm not going to say what she said though. And a part of me wanted to be like, no, what she say, but I'm happy she didn't tell me because one, it would have hurt me. And two, when well, nothing would have come from it, but it was really just wild to me that like, even in this like deranged state, you are hating your child. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, sure. Like that happens with people with dementia where like they suddenly like, you know, like their behaviors and mannerisms and things are different. But the reason I felt like that was really some of her true feelings was because I've already seen that behavior. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, this just really like broke the filter of it. Like you couldn't tamper it or dress it up maybe. And I could be wrong about that. I'm not a specialist. I don't know. But it's just like, even like my family talk, like my my one aunt would be honest with me about how like, 
this is how she is towards me. She has a problem and doesn't, she just thinks she's just a loving mother and stuff. And so it makes it really hard when she doesn't even acknowledge it. Like if she was on some, yeah, like, you know, I'm distant, I don't like you. At least I could like know where we stand. But instead it's as if I have this one version of reality and you have this other one and they are completely at odds with each other. So it's really hurtful to be like, my mom doesn't like me or like, I don't have parents because it's like, I see you and I don't have you. And it's also like, you know, like I said earlier, I have this version of you in my head that has never been reality. And I can't remember if this was something I made up or like something I read somewhere, but I, but basically it's like, um, I can't, I can't punish you for not living up to the expectations in my head when you were never the, that person to begin with. And that's what what it's really coming down to. Like I'm angry about who you are when in reality, you've never given me a reason to believe you to be anything else. And that guts me. It is the bane of my existence because my mother is so loving. Like this past week she was here, like sis was great. She folded my laundry, even my underwear. And I say that because like, I throw my underwear in a drawer. Like what I'm folding them for, they all small, whatever. Like, you know, socks and stuff. But like, she was literally like folding them. She was cooking. She was cleaning. She was like, she like, I hate doing dishes. Okay. And I got back problems. Ain't nobody stand up to do all that. Sis kept my kitchen clean. Like she was doing all of these things. Like she, you know, like making sure I eat. Like the other day she was here and I had to get up for work. She heard my alarm, but I didn't leave the room yet. So she was like, hey, like, are you getting up? Are you supposed to be up? Just, you know, like, she even, she's scared of cats. She was, like, making friends with my cat. She gave her a little name. Her her name is Star Taco. And sometimes I call her Chunky Mamas for some reason. She kept calling her Crispy Taco. And I was like, you know what? Whatever works for you. But, like, you know, they had a little bonding moment. Her and Crispy Taco, whatever. Like, she learned, she pet her, which is really big. My mom does not pet cats. She's like she does not fuck with them so like she was really really sweet and kind and loving and I'm like this feels fake Mm. because I'm I did not expect that I was terrified that it was going to be what I'm used to mean passive aggressive manipulative bratty immature childish bullshit and instead it was like it was like having a mom Mm. it was like feeling cared for And I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is so different. Like, yes, she was like that as a child, when I was a child. But I, excuse me, I haven't seen that in so long. And it wasn't, it didn't feel conditional. Because sometimes as a child, like, as soon as I did something that she didn't like or whatever, like, stuff would be bad. But, like, her energy was the same pretty much the whole time. So, like, I mean, honestly, not even pretty much. It was the same the whole time. And so I'm just, like, it hurts that I know you can be different. I've seen you be different. I've even experienced different. I've watched you be different with other people's kids. But that is not the version of you I consistently get. And that is one of the most hurtful things in my life because like if you I feel like if you live most of your life thinking about why your parents don't want you or why they don't love you or why they don't like you that does a number on you because it impacts my attachments with people because as like a good example is my closest friends I love and trust them I know these are my good friends I found them at Westchester I know these are like my good friends. I'm in one of their wedding. And like, even still, I'm like, I'm waiting for the day for them to like do some fuck shit. Like I have this idea in my mind that like, no matter what, everybody leaves either by choice or by force. And so it's like, and I always know that that's me speaking out of like defensiveness and like trauma and stuff, but I can't shake it. I'm just like, why would I not expect you to do me dirty? My father abandoned me and my mother is, you know, this emotionally immature 
alcoholic who was really emotionally abusive and manipulative. So like, how could I expect anything from anyone else when my own parents who brought me here are like that? You know what I mean? So it's, it's really warped. It's really fucked up. Like it's like your ability to trust people, your ability to connect people, connect with people, my own emotional maturity and things and learning how to like not be so angry and like dismissive and like nasty to the world because I need to figure out my own shit and not project that onto others. But it's even also impacted like, I don't want to have kids. I don't think I want to have kids because one, I'm scared of ending up treating them like I was treated. But two, I've been parenting my mother since I was like in high school. So because I've had this parenting experience, I'm like, I don't want to parent. (laughs) Like, I don't want to do that because I want to be able to be selfish and learn what it's like to really only have to worry about and center me. And that is not my life. I have to worry about my mom. I have to worry about what she's doing, like making sure she's okay. Like when she was just sick as an only child, I had to figure out all that stuff by myself, basically. My family was helping, but like the decisions come down to me and she doesn't even respect or acknowledge that. Like she says she's thankful, but again, her behavior is completely different. Like she's still mad at us because she's like, you put me in a nursing home and it's like, girl, you don't even remember. She has no recollection of how bad she was. So she doesn't understand that like she had to go to a nursing home because there was no other choice. So it's just like, it's it's parenting her and being parented by her has put a lot of pessimism in my head and a lot of resentment and frustration and anger that I don't know what to do with and honestly I think now it has me like frozen in place. Like I need to be doing so many different things with my life, but I am like stuck in this like traumatized survival mode where like, I'm just watching everything go by kind of. Mm. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. Okay, I'm just gonna stop. <laughs> no, I mean, I obviously like our scenarios and our situations are different, but I definitely feel that idea of being stuck in this trauma survival space I feel that a hundred percent earlier you had mentioned that your aunt had come up to you and said you know just letting you know there is some animosity there and it was interesting that you brought that up because in that moment when you were talking I was like there has to be something there that makes your mom resent you that makes her act the way that she acts and I wanted to ask you have you ever thought about why that might be what do you think that you represent for your mother I think it's a couple things I think that a you know I am the product of a relationship with an abusive man b um She was raised by my grandfather, but, like, once I came along, I think I stole that spot. Like, I was, like, my grandfather, if you met him, like, one of the first things he would say to you if I was around or sometimes even if I wasn't is that I'm his favorite person in the world. He didn't even, like, hide that from my other cousins. Like, it was very clear, like, favorite person other than his own mother, like, favorite person. And I think because of our bond and our relationship – she like felt jealous of it. Um, I think my, I don't mean this in a pretentious way, but I think my educational experience and me being smart creates some like jealousy and things like that. I think it's also just, um, I think like maybe she had an idea of, who she wanted her kids to be. Like, I I often wonder if she wanted, like, because she's always wanted to be a mom. And I wonder if, like, she had kids because she felt like, you know, she wanted somebody to love and stuff like that and didn't actually conceptualize the fact that your child will become their own person. 
and they won't be in your image. They won't be this cookie cutter like doll for you to just like have, but instead I will become my own being. And mm-hmm. I don't think she likes that. So it's just, it's led to this, but like all of that is speculation because she won't actually say what the issue is. Like, girl, what is yeah. your beef? Especially like as a child, like you had problems with me before my brain was even fully developed. Like you, you had beef with a child, girl. I had, I had not only a bedtime, but a citywide curfew. Like this is like we're talking about a child. You know what I'm saying? Like, girl, I couldn't even work without your permission. How you got beef with me? <laughs> like, what are we doing? So, it's just it's really weird. Um, something I also think about is my mother had a stillborn before me okay. and I share that cause like she like, you know, she talks about it. She had a son. Um, for those that don't know what a stillborn is, the baby, um, like she had the baby, but the baby was dead. Um, and I though like I was a few years after that, a couple years after that. And though I was premature, you know, I survived. And so sometimes I wonder like, is it resentment that I lived and he didn't? Mm. Um, because of also how, like, she would talk about him. Like, I remember one time she had said something like, I bet you if he was here, he would be beating you up. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you would allow that? Like, I, excuse me? Yeah. What does that mean? Mm. Why am I scared now? Like, what are we doing? Like, excuse me? No. So, like, stuff like that or just, like, just all that, just manipulative bullshit. But like, I wish I knew, and it would, I don't know if it would give me more anger or like some peace, but I do wish I knew because it's so weird being in this confusing space because it's like, do you not actually, like, do you, are you unconscious of the fact that you have a problem with me? Or do you just not want to accept? that you have a problem with me? Or is this altogether just some undiagnosed mental issue that we have yet to get to the bottom of? Because like there definitely are some issues there, but it's just like, it's it's really weird because she doesn't understand because something she says to me a lot is, well, think like, you know, how you be talking to me and da, 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 da. And I tell her, I'm like, you don't understand that I respond to you based off of who you've been to me. And so when I, cause a lot of times she'll call and suddenly like my voice gets really flat and I'm like this, I'm like, Hey, what's up? What you need? Because I'm immediately going into defense mode where I have to protect myself because I don't know what's about to come from this phone call. Like for a brief period of time, my mom was blocked, but like I felt guilty about having her blocked. So I unblocked her. Mm -hmm. But like, also, even through that, acknowledging that it doesn't matter if she's blocked or not because she doesn't really speak to me anyway unless she needs something. We don't really, we don't talk. We don't have a relationship. We don't do things because I would have to do all of it. And so since I don't carry the weight of us actually doing things and being a part of each other's lives, we don't do things. Wow. So, and like, if, if she does make plans, like, as soon as she's upset, she like reneges on it. So she's not reliable. She's not trustworthy. She's a lot. I know my mother to be a liar, a manipulator, and like a mean bully. I also know her to be loving and she's funny as hell and sweet and goofy. And she's very kind. She's very generous and giving, but like not always to me, <laughs> which also creates this thing of like, is my life real? Because if you don't know, you wouldn't see this. Like the family sees it because like we're around her, but it's like, it's like a chameleon of sorts. And it makes me think about the fact that like, um, everybody's abuser has friends and supporters because they are not the same person to everyone. Yeah. And it's just, back to your question of like how it makes me feel. It just, it's all, it's all really warped and fucked up. And 
I wish I knew what caused us to be here, but I probably never will. Well, Najee, thank you so much for all this. Um, before I let you go, is there anything else that you wanted to add to the conversation? Um, just that like those of us mourning our living parents, especially black girls and women and black people that um, were raised and socialized as girls and women and having black mothers that we have these difficult relationships with, um, I see you. And I say that because I feel like it's really, our society doesn't really hold space for people with bad relationships with their moms. Cause moms are, moms are moms. They're like, mm -hmm. they're the best. They can do no wrong, but it's like, I see you. I see you and I believe you. And I know that the version that you know of your mother may very well be different than the version everyone else knows, but it doesn't make it any less true. And also we do not owe those who harm us. Our parents brought us here, not the other way around. And so if they have led us to cut off contact, to modify their relationship, to you know completely part from them or whatever, that is not on us. That is on them because we have to choose ourselves because we know that they won't choose us. So, wow. yeah. Well, Najee, I am very rarely at a loss of words, but you're so just amazing. And I knew that before I had you come on. And I knew that I would just want to listen um, just because I – you know, we went to school together and we've had conversations before and I'm just so grateful that you've shared this space and have opened up the door for more conversation about grief and loss in relation to people who are still physically here. Um, because you're right, there's, there's not a space to talk about grief in general, but within that, that subsection of grief is even more ostracized, is even more overlooked. And so I'm really grateful for what you've been able to do with this episode and made my job so easy because I just got to talk to you. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I got to listen to you. So again, I want to thank you so much for coming on and just being so candid. And I also want to thank y'all for listening to another episode of Damn Mom, really. I hope y'all enjoyed the episode, which I know y'all did. And we will see you. Well, I'm sorry, I will see you because Najee won't be with me, but I'll see you guys in 10 days. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a review and a comment. It's super, super helpful to us. And as promised, there's a relaxing cool down slash guided meditation by Liliana Rasmussen coming up in five, four, three, two. Welcome to this guided meditation session to create a safe place for you. Chronic pain can be very hard to handle, but many times when we create a mental image of our suffering, we tend to aggravate this pain, thus increasing it. And every time we feel the sensation, we will have a negative thought attached to it on a conscious and subconscious level. So what this meditation will teach you are techniques to change the mental image that has been created from this pain, and instead implement a peaceful association with pleasant visualizations that create a warmer bonding between you and your body's sensations. This allows you to accept and allow, instead of fight and push away. Make sure you're in a very comfortable position. Sit down or lay down if that feels good for you, however you need to position yourself so that none of your muscles are activated or tense. Every part of your body can rest and feel completely relaxed during this meditation. Begin by taking five deep breaths to relax even more. One, full breath in and let it go. Two, fully inhale and exhale. Three, breathe in as much as you can and let it go, feeling a wave of relaxation come over you. Four, inhale deeply and exhale, feeling invigorated. Five, last one, fully inhale and exhale, feeling any tension loosen up and your body feeling extremely relaxed. Good. And just allow your breath to slow and flow naturally now. Don't try to change anything about it. Just notice the calmness that these five breaths gifted you. Notice how your body breathes without you doing anything at all. Begin to feel any sensations that you associate with your pain. Bring them into your awareness and allow these feelings to multiply. 
You're completely safe and secure. It's okay to allow these sensations to arise. They will not harm you. Put all of your focus on these areas. Really feel their exact position and the quality of the sensations. What's the pain like for you? Is it stinging, tingling, or burning? Perhaps it's like something else. In your mind, describe every detail and then sit with it. Be entirely with it while it presents itself. Don't do anything about it except feel it. Allow the sensations to grow and don't stop them. Just see what they do. Notice the details of changes the sensations make. Good, you're doing so well. Now switch your focus and bring into your mind's eye a visual of a place you love to go or have been to that is very serene and peaceful for you. It could be an imaginary place, like on top of a gorgeous mountain, or somewhere you frequently go, like a nearby nature path. Your favorite place could be as simple as your warm, cozy bed next to a loved one. Wherever this place is for you, see it vividly right now. Start by visualizing all the physical aspects of this place. Where are you? What do you see when you look up? If you're outside, it could be the sky. If you're in a safe room somewhere, it could be the ceiling. Notice everything you see when you look up. Now look down and at your feet. What does the ground look like below you? Gaze all around this favorite place of yours, making the colors bright and vivid. Make out even more details now, like the leaves on the trees and plants or the things that are placed around the room. Do you notice any patterns anywhere? They could be patterns in nature, like the way things grow or the patterns of fabrics and objects in a room. Notice every pattern you can find in great detail. The more details you can imagine, the better. How dark or light out is it? What time of the day do you think it is? And make a judgment about the placement of the sun in the sky. Which way is the light of the sun coming into your imagination? Look at all of the beautiful things that make this place so enjoyable for you. Use your visual creativity of this place for the next several moments. Nice. Now you are going to bring about the sensations this beautiful spot offers. Start by tapping your feet on the ground. Is the surface hard or soft? Feel the ground below you here with your feet, noticing anything you can about it. Become aware of the temperature in this place. Is it cool or warm or hot? Is there a breeze blowing or is the air calm and still? Can you feel the sun on your skin? Sit with these sensations for a few moments and enjoy them. Are there any smells here? If you're imagining the beach, maybe you can smell the salty air, or if you're in a forest, the smell of nature. Just notice how your sense of smell can create sensations of aromas for you when you put your mind to it. What about sounds? Bring fully into this experience any sounds that surround you here. Perhaps you hear a loved one nearby. Perhaps you're alone and you can hear the sounds that nature creates for you. Vividly hear any sounds in this experience. Sit with these senses activated for a few moments and begin to interact with your environment. Great. To relax even further, become aware of what you're doing here. Are you sitting down and relaxing or walking around and exploring? Are you doing exactly what you love and want to do? See yourself being completely relaxed and happy here. There's no need to do anything here but relax and enjoy it. Be assured that this place is always here for you to keep you safe if you need to flee from pain. Take another slow and deep breath in. And as you exhale, you feel at complete peace with yourself and all the sensations in your body. As I speak these words to you, you are changing the mental images associated with your pain. Whenever you feel overwhelmed by the sensations in your body, repeat this exercise to accept the pain and change the thoughts associated with it. When you use this technique, you will stop the pain from becoming aggravated and growing stronger. When you vividly visualize a safe and peaceful place in moments of distress, you are slowing down your pulse and blood pressure, creating a peaceful and strong connection to your body and mind. Allow yourself to slowly become aware of your surroundings, and whenever you are ready, open your eyes, ready to go about your day peacefully.